Amen. Kids, you can go to Kids on the Rock. Ask me to remind you that, ladies, if you want to sign up for the ice cream social, which is Thursday night, the sign-up's back there on the table. Um, it's going to be a good time. Make sure you do that. This week was our week of VBS, or last week was our week of VBS, and, man, it was really incredible to see. We, I want to thank you guys, all of you that helped and prayed and just all of the... It was amazing to see our church come together and to, and to do that, especially since we had to change everything because we're only using half the building. It's, a, it's an incredible thing to, to watch. Our church has been just so wonderful and so flexible and just improvising and adapting based on what's needed with the construction. And it, it really is a blessing to see your heart for the Lord and uh, just all the incredible things. And uh, you may not know this, but since construction started and just before, you know, the, the staff has been working pretty much seven days a week, you know, uh, doing all the things that need to happen to have all this set up and then tore down, tear, tore down, tear down whatever, you know, taken down along with three or four of the Sunday school classes that show up every other Friday and, and help put the chairs out. It's just been a real blessing to see the church come together. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Um, I wanted to get through all of the rest of Galatians 5, but it's probably not going to happen today. Um, in the first half of Galatians 5, as we have walked all the way through this book, we're almost done now, there's only six chapters, um, last time we talked about um, how this, this Galatians 5 and 6 show us two ditches that we need to avoid as we walk down this road of gospel freedom. And just as a quick summary, the first ditch we talked about, has been talked about all through Galatians, is legalism. It's thinking anything that we do or don't do makes us more or less right before God. We're saved perfectly by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the message of Galatians. In fact, Paul says to add anything to the gospel uh, in the early part of chapter 5, even something small like circumcision, which was at issue in Galatia, is to be severed from Christ. But the other ditch we talked about last week that Paul is addressing in chapter 5 and 6 is the big word called antinomianism. You don't have to remember that. We just talked about it being because we're under grace, now we think we're free to sin, to live after the flesh, and God doesn't care about our sin anymore or what we do and what we don't do anymore. Paul says that's not the gospel either. In fact, in, in chapter 5, verse 13, he said, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And we talked about that last week. Then in verses 14 through 18, which we also looked at last week, Paul showed us this, this inner war, this conflict that is going on in every believer between the flesh and the spirit. Now, in verses 19 through 26, Paul is going to get specific about what the flesh and what the spirit produce in a person's life. And he does this by giving us two different lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So let's read those together, verses 19 through 26. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we just ask that you would be with us today as we, uh, as we dissect uh, the first list uh, that you've given in this, uh, in this section. God, I pray that you would give us clarity and that we would have just divine assistance in understanding your word today. There is several different ways that this text can be misunderstood. I pray that you would give me clarity in speech, God, and that you would speak what you would have us to know. And we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we only really have time to look at the first list, the works of the flesh today, because before we look at the text and get into the text, we need to back up and see, get a bird's eye view of how both of these lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, fit into the book of Galatians. Now, as we examine the sins and the virtues in these two lists, it's very, very easy to for us to miss the forest because we're focusing on each individual tree. It's common to, to hear uh, Paul say, now if you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God, and us say, oh, okay, well I'll stop doing those things so I can inherit the kingdom of God. I'll do the other things instead. That is not why these lists are here. These lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, are evidences to show you where you are with God. The way to move from the list of the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit is by trusting in Jesus and walking in the Holy Spirit. Okay, you with me? Okay, when I say you with me, you say yes, whether you're with me or not. <laughs> Think about it like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. So a thermometer just tells you what the temperature is. That's it. That's all it can do. That's all it does. It can't change the temperature in the room. It's just a measurement that tells you where you're at. A thermostat, on the other hand, can change the temperature. Technically, it's the unit that changes the temperature, but if you want the temperature to change, you just click the button up or down, and it will raise or lower the temperature in the room. Many teachers, many sermons, many expositions of this text treat these two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, like a thermostat. So if, you're, if your life is characterized by enmity or, or, or sexual immorality, Paul says those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God, so stop it. Stop doing those things, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not true. You can't inherit the kingdom of God, be saved, that's what he's talking about, by changing your behavior. To inherit the kingdom of God, you must turn to Jesus in faith. That's the whole message of Galatians. Paul's not changing his mind all of a sudden and saying, hey, it's nothing to do with the law. You don't have to keep the law. Oh, by the way, stop being hateful. Stop being... He's not doing that. This list is not showing you what to do to fix yourself. These lists, the, 
works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are here to show you who you are. If you see your heart and life characterized by the works of the flesh, defined by the works of the flesh, you must turn to Jesus because you are lost. So we're not learning how to fix our behavior in order to be right with God. What we're doing today is we're entering into an examination. We're simply testing the evidence, testing our lives to see whether we are ruled by the works of the flesh or ruled by the fruit that the Spirit himself produces. So now getting back to the text, Paul just told us in verses 14 through 18 about this conflict in the believer between the flesh and the spirit. We talked a lot about it last week and how you will never, as a believer, you will never outgrow this conflict. You will always be warring against the flesh. The spirit will always be warring against the flesh. Flesh will always be warring against the spirit. And so after he describes this conflict, he now shows us specific examples of what the works of the flesh look like. And in this list, he gives us basically four categories of the works of the flesh. The first is what we might call sexual sins. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. It doesn't take great spiritual powers of discernment to understand them. It's not a mystery. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These three words are sufficient to show us that all sexual sin, whether public or private, are works of the flesh. Paul uses these same three terms together in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, talking about sexual sin. The first word, sexual immorality, is the word pornia. You probably have heard many words taken from that word. It's a general term referring to a whole host of sexual activities outside of marriage. Impurity literally means uncleanness. It's a reference to the defilement and separation from God that sexual sin brings. And sensuality is what we might call debauchery or, or a, a total loss of restraint and decency. It's what we would call wild living, the kind of lifestyle that is flagrantly sexually immoral. Now, these three words are very general words, and they include a lot of different sins. Sex before marriage, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. In fact, it'd be easier for me to tell you what sexual immorality is not than tell you what it is. There is only one context for any human sexual activity in God's creation. It is one man and one woman married for life. That's it. Any other use of God's gift of sex disfigures and dishonors God's image in humanity. Sexual sin, all kinds and any kind, it always displays the self-centeredness and the self-focus of living for the flesh. In fact, I would argue that there is no greater act of selfishness. Acts of sexual immorality, no matter what they are, 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 are sometimes said by a culture to be done in the name of love. But it's the opposite of true love, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sexual immorality is it's self-gratification, self-glorification. It's seeking to please self over all other things. These three words together condemn any and all sexual activity outside of God's design. And Paul says in verse 21, if your life is characterized by sexual immorality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're still under the rule of sin and you've not received the Holy Spirit. 
The next two words in this list are what we call worship sins. Now, I'm going pretty quick through these. They're both, they both focus on worship and spirituality that exalts self, again, rather than God. Idolatry and sorcery. Now, idolatry, it, it's pretty easy for us to define, right? It's putting anything before God. But we often fail to realize when, when we ourselves are engaged in idolatry. Listen, before Christ saved you, if you've been born again, every single one of us were idolaters. Even if you were raised in a Christian home, even if you were raised under Christian values, every single one of us, everybody worships something, even atheists or those who claim to be atheists. Whether it's money or fun or family or sex or food or entertainment or drugs or success or popularity, anything can be an idol. Whatever you live for, whatever you want most in your life, whatever you dream about, Whatever you must have in order to have joy and satisfaction and hope, that is your God. That's what you sacrifice for. That's what you give yourself over to. And the funny thing about idolatry, even if we're talking about worshiping pagan gods in ancient Greece or something like that, idolatry always boils down to the worship of self. It always boils down to self. It's devoting yourself to a false god or a thing or a created thing in order to get what I want. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, and he says it again in Ephesians, that coveting is idolatry. Coveting, of course, is, is wanting something that someone else has, and that desire rules us. So the thing that I covet takes the place of God. Idolatry is all about self and what my heart seeks after. And sorcery would, of course, mean anything associated with occultism, witchcraft, magic. You know, not the magic like, I'm going to pull a rabbit out of my hat. Not, not that kind of magic, but, you know, casting spells and doing rituals and stuff like that. The word is where we get our word pharmacy from. So a lot of people talk about how in, in ancient times they would use medicines and potions and, and, and drugs, basically, to, to do their rituals and their spells. But at its root... Sorcery, what Paul intends here, is, is basically just trying to manipulate spiritual forces, whether real or imagined, to get what I want. So I go to a psychic to learn my future instead of trusting God with my future. I, I cast spells or do rituals to get health or prosperity instead of trusting God's hand. It's trying to bend spiritual forces to my will to give me what I desire rather than bowing to God alone. Now, we read those first five, and we say, amen. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God, for sure. But then we come to what I think is Paul's focus in this list of the works of the flesh. It's what I call relational sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are community-destroying sins. Sins that destroy relationships, divide people. I think this section is what Paul meant when he said, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. These are heart attitudes that are the opposite of serving one another through love. And I think this section also explains what Paul meant in verse 15 when he said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul addresses these 
Because they are the works of the flesh that were at this point in time destroying the congregations in Galatia. And just like all the other sins, the other works of the flesh that we've seen so far, these works of the flesh focus on gratifying and glorifying self. They say, I will care for others as long as I get what I want. I will be civil and I will be kind to others as long as I'm satisfied and no one disturbs my peace. The big problem with these works of the flesh is that no one ever thinks they're guilty of them. Instead of recognizing and repenting of these things, we always try to find a way to justify these sinful attitudes or blame others or blame the situation. So as we look at these, and we're going to do it really, really quickly, I'm going to blow through them very fast. Let's look at them, let's examine them and examine ourselves honestly and assess our own hearts as we look at the evidence. The first word here is enmity. Literally, it's hatreds, plural. It includes, of course, all kind of animosity, hostility of the heart. The person characterized by enmity always finds themselves in conflict with others all the time. They have an irreconcilable hostility that, that just overflows from the heart into their attitude, into their actions. The next word is strife, or your translation may say quarrels or discord. And it means just what it says, contention, wrangling with people all the time. It describes those who are contentious, always bickering about something, always something wrong. Nothing is ever good enough. Sometimes we look at someone who is marked by strife and we say, well, you know, that's just the way they are. That's, they're just set in their ways. That's just kind of, no, they're ruled by the flesh and need to be exhorted to turn to Christ. Verse 21 says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jealousy is next. The word is actually zealous. It's a zeal that looks after self first, is consumed with self-exaltation. I should be what they are. I should have what they have. Here's another work of the flesh that we say, you know, that's just not so bad. It's not like committing adultery or sexual immorality or something like that. But I want you to see what James says about jealousy and selfish ambition. In James 3, verses 13 through 16, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, look at it, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James says jealousy, selfish ambition is demonic and it leads to every vile practice. God takes this very, very seriously. The next word is fits of anger and that's just what it sounds like. It's a temper that takes control of the person. Flashes of anger poured out on others. I have known many men who say, you know, I just have a really, really bad temper and I cannot control it. I just cannot control my temperature, my temperature, my temper. It's, it's part of who I am. It's part of my personality. I can't help it. Well then, sir, you need to turn to Christ for the sake of your soul. Uncontrollable anger is, is a sign of pride and idolatry. It's, it's a sign of the sin of self ruling in your heart. Paul says those who are characterized by fits of anger will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and self-control. Rivalries is the next word. 
Now this word is more rightly translated selfish ambition. It's the same word we saw in James where he said it was demonic. Selfish ambition. Now selfish ambition is exactly what it sounds like. It grasps for honor and praise and it doesn't mind fighting for it. Dissensions means standing apart from everyone else. It's discord, disunity. Those who oppose everything just because. It's a spirit of continual disagreement or a critical spirit that leads to division. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 tells us, watch out for these people. Avoid such people. Proverbs 6, 19 says, God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. Divisions is much like dissensions. It would be what we might call a party spirit where we build factions against one another. And envy, we all know what envy is. It's the desire to possess what others have so that we're not satisfied with God or with the gifts that God has given. In Romans 1, envy is listed as one of the sins that characterize those whom God turned over to a reprobate mind. Now, there's some overlap in all the words that were used. But the common denominator, I hope that you saw it as we were walking through it, is exalting self, being willing to fight for self. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but the works of the flesh so far that we've looked at, there's only two left. They've been all about self. And next week, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit is just the opposite. The Spirit reflects God's nature out toward others when we're patient and kind and gentle and all of those fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know that you have questions right here. It's hard to read that list right there and not see something that even I as a believer struggle with, right? Hang on, I'm getting there. These last two works of the flesh, sins of excess, drunkenness, and orgies. They're the opposite of having self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Drunkenness is a sin throughout Scripture, regardless of what substance we're talking about. It's putting yourself under the control of something else, which is idolatry. Now, I'm always careful not to make laws where God didn't make laws, so I let each person use their spirit-led conscience to decide about partaking in any alcohol at all. But when you hear the Bible forbid drunkenness, if the first question you ask is, well, how far can I go before I break the command? You need to take care and beware of your heart because that's the wrong question. The right question is, what glorifies God most with my life? How can I honor God most with my life? And the last word, orgies, translates a word that refers basically to feasts and drinking parties that were very, very common in the Greco-Roman world. The New American Standard Bible translates this word as carousing. So though technically the word is feasting or banquets, in, in biblical Greek, it always means excessive feasting and partying, which involved too much drinking and often sexual license, which is why it's translated orgies. <clears throat> In today's language, we'd say it's one who lives just an indulgent party lifestyle. Now, Paul ends this list of the works of the flesh by saying, and things like these. This list of works of the works of the flesh is not all there is. There are other works of the flesh as well. Coveting was not mentioned. Thievery was not mentioned. Lying was not mentioned. Pride was not mentioned. There are a lot of ways sinfulness can rule over a person's life. So if you live in sin, 
but your sin wasn't listed in this list, it is included. Things like these. And this is when Paul gives this dire warning that we've all been fretting over since we began. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When did Paul warn them before? When he and Barnabas came to Galatia and evangelized them. This teaching about the flesh and the spirit and the transformation of the gospel changing your life, it's not new. It's not a new teaching that Paul's throwing on them now because of all this situation that's happening in the churches of Galatia. It's part of the gospel message he preached to them from the beginning. I'm warning you again, as I warned you before, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but all those who trust in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit and are transformed by God to walk in the newness of life. And that is why Paul can say, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now hold on just a minute. In verses 13 through 18, which we looked at last week, Paul just said that there is this conflict between the flesh and the spirit in every single believer. Jason, in fact, you made a big deal out of it last week, saying you will never outgrow this conflict. You will always be fighting against the flesh. We won't ever be free from it in this life. So there are times when the flesh rises up in believers and, and we experience enmity and strife and jealousy. So how can Paul say those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God? Listen, Paul is not contradicting what he said earlier. He's not saying, believer, you must now be sinless in order to inherit the kingdom of God. If that were so, even Paul wouldn't inherit it. He himself describes his struggle with the flesh in Romans 7. When he says those who do such things, I'll spare you the grammar lesson, but the tense of the verb indicates an ongoing pattern of life, a lifestyle. He's talking about living a life that is characterized and defined by these things. That's why the New International Version translates this verse as those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. New American Standard Bible says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So yes, while the Christian may give in to the flesh and fall into some of these behaviors and attitudes, if the Spirit dwells in you, you cannot stay there. The Spirit wars against the flesh. We saw it last week, all through verses 13 through 18. The Spirit wars against the flesh. The Spirit convicts His children. He leads His children to repentance. And yes, a believer can refuse to follow the Spirit, refuse to repent. And you know what happens then? God will discipline those that are His children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, 6, 7 and 8 says, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises how many sons? Every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are, listen to it, left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Those who live in these things with no war, with no fight, with no struggle, with no desire to, to live for Christ and not do these things, are giving evidence that there is no Holy Spirit in them. I have three dogs. Two of them are huge. And 
not super bright at the moment. And every time it rains, my, my backyard is just a mud pit. And they go out there and they roll around in the mud and they just have them a grand old time. And then they come back in through the doggy door in the utility room and then they shake off and then splash mud all over the place. When they do that, do you know the only way that Dana's not going to say something? Is if she's not home. When you as a believer splash that mud of sin all over your life, the only way the Holy Spirit's not going to bring conviction and discipline is if He's not there. Now listen, the works of the flesh, they define these people's lives. They're living lives of strife and jealousy, anger, divisiveness, immorality. Paul says, if that's you, you can have no assurance that you have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And he's talking to people in the churches of Galatia. But I want you to be very careful. That's why I preceded all this with that at the beginning. We look at that and we say, oh, we, we can't live like this. We're in danger of falling into the ditch of legalism again, though. You are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, not because your behavior is too bad, your life is not good enough, you're not living good enough. Your life is lived by works of the flesh is evidence that you have not been justified by grace through faith. Salvation is a supernatural work of God. God is always working in the lives of His children. This, this list is not telling you what to do to fix yourself. It's showing you the evidence of the Spirit's work in you. Listen, this warning, admittedly, is hard to hear. It's hard to hear, it's hard to accept, but I want you to see that this is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. Paul gave the same warning to the Ephesians, and he gave the same warning to the Corinthians. In Ephesians 5, he said, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, look at it. Do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this, the very next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Paul didn't know every single person in the whole city of Corinth, every person in the church at Corinth, but he could say, that's not who you are anymore. Why? Because he knew that if you're in Christ, that's not who you are. What changed them? What changed you? He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The grace of salvation washes away all sin. But it also changes your heart. 
The fruit of the Spirit, which we'll look at next week, is evident and it is growing in your life. Are you, are you as full of love as you possibly could be? No. Are you as full of gentleness as you possibly could be? No. Those fruits of the Spirit are growing in you. But Paul could also say in Galatians 5.24, which we're going to look at next week and we read this morning, he could say, everyone who belongs to Christ has crucified the flesh with its desires. Make sure you understand this. There's still a battle going on. There's still a war. The flesh is still active for sure. But sin no longer rules your heart, enslaving you to walk in it anymore if you are in Christ. Now, what does that mean? It sounds pretty dang spiritual. It sounds like it's right, but what does it actually mean? The question everyone has, how do I know whether my life is characterized by these things, defined by these things, or whether I am a, a believer born of grace who is just struggling by the Spirit and often failing and, um, and often succeeding against these things. How do I know the difference? This is what I got for you. Number one, first, if you see the works of the flesh in your life and you don't care, you refuse to submit to God's Word, you justify your behaviors, your attitudes, or, or you dismiss sin in your life altogether because, hey, we're under grace, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. You should be very afraid to face God. The Spirit in the believer wars against the flesh, always. That's what He does. And while believers indeed still disobey the Spirit, still fall into some of these behaviors and attitudes, God disciplines his children. It's like a child running off in, in the middle of K-15 and their dad, is their dad going to say, well, that's what they wanted to do, I guess, man, sorry. No, he's going to go get them. He's going to say, no, 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 that's dangerous. You come back here. He's going to discipline his child. But here's where we fall off the other side of the cliff. So be very careful. Trying to live a good moral life and not doing these things, that's not evidence by itself of salvation either. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the ditch of legalism because we want to stay out of the ditch of antinomianism. That, that, that word, you know that word. So if you struggle and you fight against some of the things on this list, and sometimes you fail, many times you fail, sometimes you succeed, but there is this war, this constant battle in your life, ask yourself this question. Why am I fighting? Why? Why are you fighting against the things in this list? Well... I want to be good. I want to be accepted by God. No! You have forgotten the gospel. Believers know that living moral lives doesn't make you righteous. Stopping doing these things doesn't make you inherit the kingdom of God. Many people hear the warning, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they just get scared. And they say, oh, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, I, I'm going to try to change. I'm going to try to not do these things. No! 
Believers know that changing their behavior doesn't save them. It doesn't save anyone. If your life is characterized by sexual immorality and you say, okay, I'm stopping today and I'm never doing it again, you still will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you trust in Jesus by grace through faith. So why are you fighting so hard, believer? Why are you fighting against these fleshly things? Sometimes winning the battle, sometimes losing it on a daily basis. If the answer to that question is, I'm fighting because I know Jesus saved me and he delivered me from all my sin and there's nothing more than I can gain, but I love him and I desire him and I want to honor him and I want to live for him. I know I can earn nothing before God, but my heart can't stop fighting because he is everything to me. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That is evidence that the flesh has been crucified. And though it's in its death throes and it rises up every now and again, it cannot take control because you have a new heart given to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure that you understand this. This list of works of the flesh is not given just so you will stop doing these things. Paul has not changed his message in the book of Galatians. He hasn't said all this time, it's not of law, it's not of works, it's not of law, it's not of works. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, if you want to accept Jesus, you also have to stop this and stop that and stop this and start this. No, this list isn't given here to show you how to fix yourself. This list is showing the symptom of a real problem. You can work to stop being an angry person or an envious person. You can strive to stop your sexual immorality. But unless you turn to Christ in faith, receive the Spirit of God, you will still die in your sin. Stopping doing all the bad things will not help you. The goal is not stop sinning. The goal is love Jesus and live for Him. Paul's message from the beginning of this book is salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works. But the grace that saves also transforms the heart so that there is evidence of his work in you. Do you notice how Paul refers to these two lists? Neither one of them is what you're doing. One of them is the works of the flesh and the other is the fruit of the Of the Holy Spirit. He's giving these lists so we can see where we're at. If you find yourself characterized by the things on the works, the list of the works of the flesh, the answer is not stop it. The answer is turn to Jesus, for He is the only one that can save you. And believer, if you're struggling with the flesh as we all are and we all do, the answer for you, we, we do put guardrails up. We do use wisdom and don't go places you, you know, you know you're going to be tempted. Don't allow yourself to be put in situations where you're going to be. We do put guardrails up and use wisdom. But the answer for you, believer struggling with the flesh is not just do better. Stop it. It's depending upon the Spirit who dwells in you. I I wish I had another hour to go through the fruit of the Spirit with you. I may take it. (laughs) A couple of you said, no, no, don't take it today. We trust you. 
when Paul finally gets around to giving you a command in this section, you know what it is? If we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It's not do better, be better, live more rightly, and then you'll inherit the kingdom of God. No, he's giving us evidence of where we stand. If this is you and you are in the works of the flesh and they characterize your life, you must turn to Jesus and be saved. If you're a believer who's struggling with the flesh and these things are warring inside of you as the spirit wars against you, it's not just do better. That's not the answer. The answer is walk in the spirit. Earlier in this same chapter, Paul told us, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen, where are you today? If, you're, if you find yourself, it doesn't matter how religious you are or what things that you've done. If you find yourself characterized by the life lived in the Spirit of God, and you don't care. It's just, hey, I am what I am. We all sin, so we're just, you know, it's no big deal whatsoever. You should be terrified of facing God. If you're a believer, I mean, if that's you, you need to trust in Jesus. You need to be saved. But if you're a believer that's warring against these things, and they keep popping up, and they never go away, and it's just a continual exhausting battle, like we were told last week, the answer is not just do better, be stronger, do greater works, you know, stop doing these things. The answer is walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be more desperately dependent upon Christ. Where are you today? Trust in Jesus. That's not a slogan. It's not a cliche. It's what we must live by. The righteous will live by faith. Trust in him today. Give him your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I don't, I don't know if I made it clear. So God, I pray that you would just take the passage that we read and that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would, that you would just work in our hearts to see what you have said. There's 10 different ways this passage can be misunderstood. So God, I pray that you would just apply it to us and that you would teach us what you would have us to know, God. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would, that you would call them to yourself. You would show them that faith by grace is the only way to be saved in the cross of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. I pray that you would, um, that you would call them to yourself through the gospel. And God, as believers in here, all of us, we struggle. We struggle with the flesh. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. Sometimes we fail. A lot of times we fail. God, I pray that you would help us to depend upon you, to walk in you. God, we, we use wisdom. We use wisdom in navigating the things that we do and don't do and the places we go and don't go. But God, ultimately, we, we have to depend on you because we can't do it. So God, I thank you. I thank you for the war going on in each of us because it's evidence that we are your children. And we can take assurance from that. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here. I'd love to pray with you if you'd want to come. Will you stand with me?